I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. And there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radials, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Well, welcome one and all to you, um, dear listener, to episode 11 of required reading a film podcast um we're very very glad to receive you through the medium of uh, you listening to a recording of us i'm joined here as always eternally and uh, gratefully from my side at least by dan hello dan hi i'm uh, quite loose today you're very loose today aren't mm. you very laissez-faire yeah your l-shaped sofa Lying seductively. Yeah, you are very much so. Trousers um, half and done. Have you My um dad bod spilling forth? <laughs> like lava. Mm, hot lava. Um, More like lava. <laughs> oh, nice. Um how how are you how are you? I'm good, I'm like I a big man maggot. I haven't seen you to like in a, a few days. No. Um, Probably should have caught up before you. we started pressing the record button. You should have done. But you know, never mind. That's <laughs> the way it's recorded for Prosterity. Prosterity. Um, uh, we are here to talk about um, a film that we have let you know on Twitter which film it's going to be. It is The King of Comedy, the 1982 Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Under, underappreciated <laughs> gem um, starring uh, Bobby D. Bobby DN. Bobby DN. Um, and this one is a little different in how the film was chosen. This really is one of my top, like top, top films. You know, I'm so pleased when, um, when this one came up, it's one of the reasons I kind of wanted to do a podcast like this so we could just talk about films like this. I have no reason, no, yeah, yeah. no, no sort of zeitgeist. There's nothing, no buzz about so- them at all. And, um, what are the great films has Robert De Niro been in then? So, <laughs> Dirty Grandpa, 
Dirty Grandpa, he's been in. Yeah. Um, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, pretty good. The Fockers franchise. A- analyze that. Um, the superior sequel to Analyze This. Yeah, he's you know he's been in he's been in some real classics, and um, <laughs> and this one really is to be serious for a second is is probably ugh, probably one of my favourite performances of his, which is kind of a bold statement, I guess. We'll get onto it later, but first our ha- little bit of housekeeping of that um, the required part of our name refers to the fact that you need to have seen the film before listening to the podcast. Is full spoilers. We talk about the film in its entirety. Jump around. Have no. Uh, this have film no, is as old as I am. Have no sense of chronology. So, what is it? Thirty-eight years. Thirty-eight years old. Mm-hmm. It's as old as I am. Um, so, you deserve spoilers. Well, you've had a lot, a long time to get around to this one. Although it's um, taken me that long to actually see long. the film, so <laughs> it is it is one of those ones that I have seen written about before. I'm not the own, alone in being a fan of it, but by, by by any means, it is one that I really do champion quite a lot. If if someone ever says, "Oh, I haven't seen it," or I saw it ages ago, I didn't really get it. It's like, oh no, you need to go back to it. It's amazing when you understand the context of what films he'd done before and what he did after, and it's pretty pretty amazing. But anyway, yes, it is required that you have seen this film. So this is your this is your last chance to flee uh, before having the film effectively effectively ruined. If you have seen it, I hope this will enhance your viewing of it so um dan what did you think of the king of comedy i thought the king of comedy was an unbearable watch and i don't mean that in a bad way because it's clearly a great film Mm. but i just wanted to crawl inside myself and die for the duration of the film i actually had to watch it in four parts (laughs) because i found it unbearable you know when people really struggle with things like Kerber Enthusiasm, like cringe comedy like Kerber Enthusiasm. Mm. This is like that cranked up to the end degree. Yeah. Nth degree where every scene just makes you just want to just shut up Rupert. Just fucking <laughs> fucking stop it. And I just ah oh, I just hated it because every every moment of him doing his compulsive mm. liar shtick just made me want to it, it just made me die inside constantly. Right. And I know that's the aim of it. Yeah, so yeah. it's a film that just made me Deeply uncomfortable, right? Just constantly, yeah. Um, yeah. Well done, Scorsese. <laughs> You've uh, you 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 succeeded in making a grown man just feel just like he wanted the film to be over as soon as possible. It's an incredible film in terms of narrative because we talked the other week about those like plotless films. Mm. These films that don't really do anything. This and and really, this film is that in a way. It's not very much he has an encounter with it, a celebrity he has a stupid plan you know to to get on tv it, again but just the way that it's structured in such a way it does feel way more dramatic than the, than the plot would give you you know yes it's like you say it's a very slight tale when you mm. boil it down to what actually occurs yeah um and it does play with um time hops very well mm. that it makes these big assumptions uh, you know, on, on the part of the audience that just hops to these things, you don't see anything of the 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 thought or decision making yeah. process. It, you just go from one in, incredibly cringeworthy scene to sort of another leap in pumpkin logic, yeah. I guess, to the next extreme of what it's going to take. Because mm. um, I mean, ultimately, this is a film 
about a man who lives in his mother's basement yeah. who um, admires a celebrity so much that he thinks that celebrity almost owes him something, owes him a favour, mm-hmm. owes him a career. Um, so in that way, Martin Scorsese um, predicted YouTube culture. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, you know, Rupert Pupkin is like the human embodiment of 4chan or something. It's just, yeah. you know, he's a he's a he's a horrible basement dweller who's just thinks the world owes him a fucking favor. It's it's an amazing. And before we get on to the the idea of what, it, what you know, what it represents now and and the echoes that that we can hear in sort of modern society, of which there are many, we will get on to it. I just wanted to just to go take you back in time to imagine a young me watching this film and when I first came into contact with it when I was young um when I was you know a teenager and this was when I was um trying to be a musician trying to like you know learning how to play being in bands getting the idea of being in gigs and getting people to hear your music and all that kind of stuff and just during that time when you just have this absolute self-belief that you're going to be a famous musician it's mm-hmm. not it's only a matter of time before you get signed and and it, all it takes is that one person just to listen to it and go oh like oh this is great you know here it is here's the ticket to whatever you know bullshit like you know end point i had in my head back then and to me this film really embodied just to a younger me what i really identified with was this idea of him struggling to just be be heard you know be and I hadn't grown, I hadn't, my cynical bones hadn't kind of come in yet. And obviously now I watch it and there's a totally different spin. Yeah. It's always really, it's really grown with me, this film. That he's not willing to do any of the legwork whatsoever required. But but that he's got that, he's had that self monologue with himself where he's convinced himself that he doesn't need to do it for whatever reason. And when you're in a band and you're just sitting in a room and you're practicing and you're doing these things, you're doing these gigs, you do have those conversations with yourself where it's just like, Oh, cool! Like, well, we're doing a gig, and there's probably only gonna be like three people there. But one of those people could be this person that's gonna, you know, that's going to. Maybe they're here to see another band. Maybe they're just having a, you know, a night off, and it's like a Wayne's World thing of like, oh, I'm Frankie Sharp from Sharp Records. Yeah. You're incredibly talented, and here's a ten album deal. And this film, what I really keyed into it early on is that is that struggle of that. Even if you consider that he might not be very talented or however you feel about the end result because it, it plays with you in that sense you don't see him do his set no until very late on so you're left wondering is this person actually any good or is this person not any good and it plays around with you so well in that so it almost there's a read of the film where it almost doesn't matter how you could almost watch the film without seeing the monologue at the end and still get quite a lot of it yes quite a lot of it and so, yeah, that's what it kind of meant to me back a lot, then. A lot, a lot of films would do that as well, um, especially when it comes to stand-up comedy. I find that a lot of a lot of films of that of that vein tend to skip around those parts mm. because it takes a, a good writer to yeah. script good, convincing stand-up comedy, yeah. and also for a good actor to perform stand-up convincingly. Mm. Um, you know, stand-up comedians spend a long time honing very, you know, relatively short sets, so trying to actually do that bespoke for a for a film is quite yeah. difficult. I did see somewhere that Robert De Niro actually did a bit of 
Yeah. Him being him, mm. you know, did quite a great deal of practice and research and actually yeah. went to clubs and tried his routine out. Mm. Um, you know, and as it turned out, he's he's not bad. Yeah. He's, he's not he's amazing. He's very compelling. And that's obviously, a, if a comedian can be compelling, then sort of there's half the battle yeah. because you just don't mind watching them. But yeah, I would, I'd say his comedy timing isn't, like like a pure like like a real when someone has you in the palm of their hand and no. he's playing you know he doesn't have that but I mean come on you know it's, it's it, you know I think he's really good but for me it's his performance outside of the his, you know the routine and his ticks and his you know his way of of being around people yeah especially around the times when he is being rejected by people and just the way that he internalizes the thought and you know he well, i mean he got, does kind of say it but you can just see that his body is going right i'm not accepting any of this input i've already you know i've already know the answer to this you're just wrong about whether i'm talented or not he just does such a great job and obviously physicality is part of his trade yeah yeah you know one of the things you know he uh, it, the film that came before this or was a little bit before this was raging ball where he you know obviously gained a lot of weight and lost weight and and you know really played around with it then but this film his physicality is so different to almost all of his other films it's amazing what he what he does i really really enjoy his physical physical performance in this yeah he's, like you say there's a certain um it's just a brick wall that any any negativity, mm. anything that tries to bash him, yeah, it's just it just bounces off him, yeah. uh, and it's you know there's a, just a look in his face mm. where it doesn't even register. There's yeah. no there's no there's no point where he looks, I guess, disappointed or mm. you know because he's it, not. It just doesn't register. Mm. He's you know he's he's damaged goods. Yeah, it's, and you know this sort of entitlement, and then his relationship with um, Sandra Bernhardt's character. Who I didn't realise at all was in it. Oh really? I saw her at the start when she jumps mm. into the car with him yeah. and went, "Oh, Sandra Bernhardt." I thought, and I thought it was just a little passing. Oh, she's a mental fan. Yeah, I didn't expect her to have such a a pivotal role in the film. Well, it's again, and there's also uh, Mary Elizabeth Antonio is an extra in there. If you look hard enough, right at the back, of that scene. Um, well, on the oh, on the subject of extras trivia, yeah, then. yeah, yeah, a little bit of extras. Yeah. Uh, the Clash, yes, amazing, yeah, yeah. I absolutely. saw, I saw that, and I saw Joe Strummer in the credits, and then yeah. I was like, oh, hang on, and a lot of their bandmates yeah. and backing singers, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah, it's oh, pretty amazing. And they all play street scum, mm. <laughs> which is great, mm. you know. And it's it it just has that breathable, breathable quality, you know, throughout. But so Sandra Bernhardt really represents this like surreal, just a tip over, step over the line. You know, Rupert is is there in his, you know, oh he's on the precipice, yeah, for he sure. He is, but she's definitely one step beyond, many many steps beyond. But he can't he can't step away from her because it's you know it's it's not far for him to go to get there. But you know? what's also interesting is the the class issue as well, whereas mm. he's clearly from a poor. New Jersey, I think he says, but like background and mm. you know, as I say, lives in his mom's basement. Where he's like, you live in a townhouse, and then you actually see her gaff. Yeah, and it's this incredible sort of ostentatious place that clearly her folks have given her because she's just this deranged, deranged Uber fan, you know, proto stalker. Yeah, um, and and it doesn't give anything away about 
her background really or she refers to her parents one more time when she's um when she's sitting on top of jerry yeah and she says something about my parents don't care anyway or don't or you know like you know and the feeling of the difference between feeling irrelevant and feeling validated is this really great spine of, of the film rupert is set up as someone who hasn't had recognition jerry is set up as somebody who has had recognition and the flashbacks or what the, the dream sequences yeah, or yeah. whatever you want to call the them the way that they play around with um i don't know whether you notice there's one later on where um they're in his office he's um it's after he's begged him to do the show are the height difference is it this bit no no this is, when, when they're in the office jerry lewis starts doing rupert pupkinisms when he's really ah, friends I with him that. it's really amazing what, what something... I, I was going to say what I noticed from that initially is mm. I don't know if it's deliberate but the way it's shot makes Rupert look really small and it makes Jerry Lewis look like a giant right. like, it's only when he stands up that they sort of look like they're on even terms mm. but initially when Jerry Lewis is walking around the office talking to him he looks tiny right, it right. almost looks like Jerry Lewis is like you know giant titan of comedy and mm. I don't know if that was a deliberate yeah, yeah. I, I think it definitely either. plays around with and also like the tone of when he when he's flipped when he's just like imagining these conversations with him and i think that going back to de niro and the sort of phase that he was in obviously he came from from uh, a raging bull and then i i listed a few of these films so if you consider that this is a maybe a mid period sort of post um raging bull and the taxi deer hunter driver and... taxi driver that he moves into this 80s period this is before obviously 90s and heat and all those other yep. things and goodfellas and i suppose this goodfellas is the, is the it's the other side so he obviously um he's king of comedy then once upon a time in america which is quite a strange performance in a way where he's kind of drawing a line under what he did with The Godfather and yeah. Oscar, that Oscar win. So that's quite an interesting one. Uh, Brazil, The Mission, um, Angel Heart, which, mm-hmm. is a, which is an amazing film. Um, the Untouchables, again, which um, I would watch the uh, De Palma documentary and they were saying that De Niro took like a really long time to say yeah to being Al Capone. Oh, really? It. So yeah, like they couldn't convince him because he said, oh, I've done it before. I've done all this. I've done the gangster thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironic that he would go on to do to do Goodfellas and define the genre, but um, it's quite interesting. Midnight Run, which I mean... Analyze this, you mean, clearly, but... And, <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and then kind of a few others but sort of you know rounding off with goodfellas it's 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 a really interesting study in what what do you do, what do you do when you're at the top of your game the decision that you make do you carry on doing same that you've done before that's defined you that you know you have fans for and you know you can continue doing or do you try and take a sidestep and and you continue know, to challenge yourself yeah. and grow and and you know be confident that the fans that love you will accept you doing something else and will come on that journey with because talking about de niro as the best as the best you do have to consider that he is separate from you know his own persona he is you do feel all of the different characters that he's played in all of these different films although it is robert de niro and there are obviously robert de niro isms mm-hmm. he is incredible in that his characters are so different and this 80s period i think really helped him define that he would be able to go on and do heat and 
Cape Fear and yeah, you know, yeah, these yeah, other yeah. films that completely are you know and not not reverting to the Italian sort of gangster gangster type and obviously really really interested to see what happens with the Irishman which I would love to do an episode on when it when it's when finally it here out, yeah, yeah. because see what he does with Scorsese see whether he can get back into the groove because um righteous kill the um 2008 film with pacino the one that was supposed to bring them back together was very very bad mm. <laughs> it was directed great, that a great film uh, the director of that was da, 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 joe avnet john avnet mm. i'm not avnet i'm not avnet no definitely Sky, the uh, Sky Captain, the World of Tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah. Not um, not a, not a lot to his name. Oh. Yeah, I mean that's it. You get you get these much hyped collisions of actors with no sort of consideration for who's actually steering the ship. Sometimes, mm. yeah. It's like, oh, mean, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro are back together yeah. in a film directed by Uwe Boll. Yeah, it's it's you are only as good as yeah, I guess you're only um, as good as your screenplay and you direction as well you you can you can be the best actor in the world but you know you're only as good as ultimately as good as the material you've got to work with sort of moving on um thinking about now obviously sort of gone through how it it had context with me um earlier on and sort of now um you know catching up and watching it again i've i've seen it a few times since i've you know watched it every now and then but now watching watching this film this time i i did have a, a really different really different take on it and before we get into it should we go to james's uh review sure the, yeah um, of the movie get let him um so yeah james james buttress our regular contributor who actually came over and watched a film with us he did we watched um brawling cell block 99 which i loved it was great it was uh i'm, I'm, I'm you know starting to worry that the director has a bit of a, a one-trick thing which is to just escalate things very, very slowly until they just get to a bit where you're like, what the actual fuck? Um, <laughs> but it was good. Brawl, Brawl and Sell at 99, mini review, go watch that. So James says, better than Taxi Driver, disagree. Not quite up there with Raging Bull. This doesn't carry the cachet of some of Bob's other hits, but it's an absolute gem and an acting masterclass. It gets funnier and darker and sadder with every viewing. I'll take your word for it, I'm never watching this film again. An examination of fame and the pursuit thereof. If ever there was a precursor to Twitter and our own modern day relationships with celebs, it's the exchange Jerry has with a fan that is idolising him one moment, then wishing him cancer the next. Very true. Uh, Pupkin could have wandered off the set of One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. The seamless dream sequences give us everything we need to completely buy into his broken character and his motivations. His moments alone with his cardboard cutouts are cinema gold. Uh, Abbott is similarly scintillating. His moments alone with his cardboard cutouts are cinema gold. Abbott is similarly scintillating. This is a genuinely great movie that should be seen by more people. Because of course it was a it was a bomb. When it yes, first came out. total bomb. It it is an interesting one. Um, it's a tough. It's it's I, like it's a tough film. I, I, one thing I did appreciate about it was that how naturalistic it all was, mm. and, and weirdly for Scorsese as well, it all it, it was quite. It felt quite sanitized. It wasn't very sweary. No. Um, the, there was no real violence in it. The the odd slap. I don't know what rating it was when it first came out, but despite the dark subject matter, mm. it it didn't really go into some of the darker places that uh, Scorsese's other films of the yeah. era did. It's very measured. 
Yeah. I think it's really, and I think that's, you know, that's conscious. I think he's, you know, trying to make something that, that delves to those places, the deepest edges of our psyche, but doesn't resort to some of those things that he has done, you know, mm. especially even with music. I sometimes find him, his use of music, especially later on, very heavy handed and very on no, on the nose, mm. which is of itself something that could be a, a big criticism of him and i think that he's even very measured with the score of the film like he's you know the way that he is just that sort of piano mm. riff which i really love the music it's like an improvisation all the way through it's it's you know it's quite an interesting one thank you very much james yes um always always great um feels very turn of the century this film turn of mm. centuries but turn of the turn of the decade i should say sorry it feels very turn of the decade right. as as things made specifically in 1980 are uh, want yeah. to do it, it's it, there's always this weird hinterland between the defining moments of decades mm. you know we're out of everything that made the 70s what it was yeah things that everyone identifies with the 80s have yet to happen mm. so you're always in this cultural dead zone almost yeah so I always find films that are from the like you know seventy nine to eighty one mm. always occupy a strange cultural yeah. space for me. Late late seventies cinema, you know, if, if you can just stretch our arm around eighty two and consider that you know maybe they made the film and it was a year in production or whatever, we let you know we can we can we can include it. Is for me one of the most interesting times in cinema if you consider what you know what was what was around then you know mm. Alien. Star Wars, you know, all the, you know these films that you know, would would take on different lives, but if you take it as in itself of that, you know, that time, it's a really really interesting time That's, for art. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, totally. Yeah, it's a very it's a very interesting one. It's a strong it's a, era. Yeah, I did notice um, when he goes to the studio doing his day job. There's an Empire Strikes Back poster. All right. Yeah, just in the in yeah. the studio that he he, cool. he delivers to, and I couldn't remember if the film was even out at that point right, if it was right. a little because obviously I, th- I think they're all it like a, around then isn't it aren't they all like a group of mates actually yeah. no Scorsese was more New York New York wasn't he it was, it was like Coppola, Coppola Spielberg and yeah. Lucas that were the sort of San Francisco set I think um, the California set is that right I I think that you know they ended up going out there, but I think they were all at film school in in New York. So oh, it was, was like, that you it? Know, it was um, it was De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, it's 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 that group. You know, there is yeah, a particular yeah. um, you know, my particular answer to um, you do that. see Tron at a cinema as well. Oh right, amazing. Shot oh, as well. well spotted. Yeah, yeah, which is a great, which is a great film. Um, I, uh, sorry, the answer to one of my, you know that question of if you could be in any sort of period of time. You know, with sort of a period of people, what, like what would you choose? And that apparently you you hear tales of um, of Spielberg um, and his crew going up to the Catskills, this uh, sort of little holiday destination in mm. New York, upstate New York. And apparently they would go and just talk about, oh, I'm making you know Apocalypse Now, and it's you know fucking bullshit, and <laughs> oh, I want to do this you know space film that's kind of like Searchers and like you know Hidden I Fortress kind of, and I, can't, all I yeah. can't you know I've got this you know I've this guy Harrison Ford like you know he's pretty cool like what do you think? And I just think it would have been an amazing time just to hang out you know, and and that's that's my kind of answer of that sort of in an art in an art form. There's there's nothing I don't think there's anything quite like that in terms of a collection mm. of such influential and talented directors 
these days mm. who study together or were kind of busy mates or yeah I, I don't know if there is a little cabal of well i just wonder how much you know and we'll you know we will get on to i promise but you know the idea of how you know the internet has has skewed that you know our view of these people and our um, the ability for people to collaborate with freedom now is so much so that everything is sort of on show and you would expect to see the fruits of these people's labor and you see a trailer for it and you would judge it and it would be changed you know Mm. these guys were like creating these stories and having these ideas and you know workshopping these these ideas in a complete bubble of where they had the bandwidth to just go and try and make it try and make it work you know obviously a lot of them worked but it was obviously a very sort of fertile ground for if you think of all the stuff that came out of it and again referring back to this department documentary it's you know it's how it's how you come at it and what you decide to go for like De Palma did a lot of stuff where he he didn't write he didn't write stuff as as much he sort of took the job and took the idea of, of doing these films whereas people like Scorsese were just in this mill this particular like Kubrickian mill where it's not about sort of stepping out and doing somebody else's out somebody else's story per se it's sort of telling stuff within your own universe I think it's really really interesting it's you know very interesting time to, to make films so let's uh, let's go to Chris's Chris's review I've not seen this it um, this is the first time I've seen The King of Comedy it's one of those films I've been meaning to get around to for ages but never quite managed to fit it in as is often the case with films that flop on release but are later reappraised you can see both the reason why it didn't succeed and why it warranted a second look I get the criticism that it's not quite funny enough as a black comedy and not quite scary enough for its horror elements to land. Though Jerry Lewis is mostly excellent, he doesn't seem quite worried enough about his predicament. But I found it incredibly absorbing. Several scenes are watched through your fingers excruciating. (laughs) From the opening scene where Pupkin rescues Jerry and then keeps interrupting him as he walks away. To the moment he and Rita turn up at his country estate. It's like cringe comedy way before it was popular. Yeah. It's interesting too how much we learn about Pupkin in just a handful of early scenes. He sees himself as more than just another wacko stalker, and that's precisely what makes him potentially more dangerous. The routine as confessional scene at the end is a smart bit of exposition, giving us a glimpse at why Pupkin turned out that way, as well as going some way to explain his desperation to be king for a night. He really just wanted to be seen to get his story out there, and suddenly this strange man in his most monstrous moment becomes all the more sympathetic. (laughs) While the nature of the ending is ambiguous, the repeated mentions of his name, notably getting it right when everyone else had been calling him Pipkin or Pumpkin (laughs) earlier, makes me lean towards it being a fantasy. The way it touches upon our relationship with celebrity feels troublingly prescient, particularly so in a world where you can achieve instant fame through social media and the way people feel they have to resort to dangerous, stupid acts to get their 15 minutes. I wouldn't want to see a remake, but you can imagine how a modern version could be done. A fascinating film. And then he gives a little little coda of, uh, sorry, Bit of an epic there. I just found it really interesting to digest, which I've uh, also included, and I thank you very much for it. It was, um, yeah, that was an um, excellent mini review, yeah, and um, shares uh, shares my thoughts on it almost almost exactly, actually. Mm. Yeah, it's it it really is designed to make you question like where you stand, and it asks you that question really often 
throughout the film and you know getting into this reason about why it's so relevant now and why people should see this film and hopefully this podcast episode will inspire a few more people to see it is that this idea that Rupert represents this immovable force of um you know craving recognition is something that we're seeing now societally all over all over i see rupert you know a facsimile of of that attitude over and over and over in the twitterverse in the papers in politicians it, it really does it really does hit home in a lot of places and um you know famous for being famous uh, fa- famous for being famous but the also the intent of that being that being enough that being that we should just accept that and they were just fostering a culture where the talentless are, are given opportunities purely for lord knows yeah most of the time because they're utterly reprehensible people and that makes them compelling viewing you know and that's why rupert popkin is a very prescient character in that regard he's amazing and but you know to just the idea of wanting to be recognized just because you know be it the basically why ITV2 exists as a channel. <laughs> be it, but even like X Factor, even all those things where it's like... But at least the it makes I- sense they're coming and they're trying to do something. You know, it's like, here's the thing I can do. I think we've moved beyond that now where we're getting into a culture of people who don't even do anything. It's just people who exist mm. and put themselves out there and go, here, just watch me talking for 15 minutes about what I did today. And people going, oh, and they're just hanging on every word of it. And... You, you like am i an old fart or or <laughs> you know or is 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 youth fundamentally broken it's like no it's like i know that a lot of young people who are probably on the same wavelength we were on when we were their age uh, look at these going look at these vacuous fucking idiots i want nothing to do with that there's always been forms of it but it's it's so prevalent now because it's just so easy mm. and all all improvements to social media are allowing uh, they're just making that easier and easier and easier it's like it's not bad enough you know so if it wasn't bad enough that instagram just <clears throat> rewards you for pulling the exact same face in a slightly different outfit yeah you know, in a slightly different environment. I mean, that's that's a that's a subtweet to end all subtweets, I guess. But <laughs> you know, now it's like, oh, now we've got video. Oh, now we've got IGTV, so you can effectively use Instagram as your vlogging mm. site now as well. So not people not only have to be subjected to your just everyday existence, but also to then hear a ten minute monologue about it as well. Mm. Brilliant. And I mean, obviously, I get the irony of two guys here <clears throat> talking on a podcast and asking people to you know listen to that and you know we're obviously a very very far far away from from from, you know from what we're talking about here you know i love that you know putting this stuff out there you know but i'm fine if people don't want to listen to it i don't um you know i don't desperately feel that we're not doing it for the listens you know, I just think that some, even some of the lovely messages I've had from people already, just the idea of, oh, it's like super relaxing, or I can just sort of, you know, I kind of agree with you guys, and it's conversational, you know, all that stuff. I do really abhor is this idea of this word of content going out there, and what defines it, and what, and how it is that people feel as though they, you know, deserved 
you know, deserve sort of to be amplified just because the means of amplification are now very simple doesn't yes. necessarily mean that you, it's, you, that you deserve it. And these there used to be these these uh, mechanisms in place, like the idea of you had to pay your dues in the clubs before you got to the bigger mm-hmm. clubs. You had to, you know, do short films and these other bits and do those before you could make a feature film. You, all these other things. It wasn't just people making money out of you although that is obviously a sideline to it it was like a you know university or whatever or some kind of playground for you to be able to really rise to the top and what is true then is still true now that somebody truly funny or somebody truly original or somebody that's truly talented will still be recognized the way that they always were because people the snowball effect will happen where you'll play to 10 people and they you're the favorite thing that, that they've ever seen yeah and they tell their friends and and wayne's world you know reference <laughs> continue like that's no different but just what we have now is this this value that rupert pupkin is 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 completely fueled by the fuel in his furnace has now gone viral and is now everywhere in so many different people you know there's a there's a particular thing on just to go on twitter for a second there's a particular weird strange microcosm now of people on twitter posting a picture of themselves like famous people and then going something like tell me something i don't know Oh, yeah, and then people replying to it, and all of their fans replying to it in in real in in sorry in reality, and then there's also the backlash, the person that thinks it's hilarious to say some kind of joke, and then that joke has its own life, and all these people that think they're being so irreverent don't understand that all they're doing is just retweeting the original and that all that recognition is still happening be it negative recognition or positive recognition if we define recognition by the number of likes on something or the number of retweets on something you think that you're subverting the original intent and mocking it but all you're doing is enabling it yeah and it happens so fucking much everywhere i just can't believe that it still happens another example for me is the starbucks cup Yes. thing of where people posting pictures of the how their names are misspelled on their Starbucks cup because the idea of the oh god it, you know what a great offense that this person hasn't heard your name properly but it's just all advertising you're posting on your personal feed a picture of a multinational yeah, because people are gonna go, I'm going to go to Starbucks and I'm going to get my name misheard and I'm going to post it there but there for you're giving Starbucks money for their terrible coffee what you're doing is just basically promoting people and that's one thing that I think that you know not that people haven't learned or that it just I wonder will become more people realize how much that is a currency or an exchange that they are maybe unwittingly part of I've, you know i've taken a big step away from it all mm. because as you know as you know i was part of a almost proto youtube semi celebrity status mm-hmm. um and then given the opportunity to sort of carry it on and and didn't and and you know, I've got a, a, a fairly small but still very sort of devout following of really lovely people, mm. and no matter what I, I, you know, I post, I don't get 
any engagement anymore to be honest it's not mm. twitter is not what it used to be and it's not what i used to use it for anymore i find it a deeply unfriendly place now uh and everyone's you know certain changes to very simple things have really changed the culture of what twitter was about retweets and likes for example you know retweets was your means of endorsement which mm. was to say this person's posting i think it's really good I think you should see it too. And that used to be how people's accounts grew. Yeah. And then they brought in favoriting. Favoriting was meant to be your way of tracking stuff that you liked, but yeah. it wouldn't be to go back to shown it, to anyone. It was just to go back to later or, you know, if you wanted to refer to whatever, it was just your means of tracking it. But then they turned that into a sort of a secondary approval process. Mm. So then liking became, they changed favoriting to likes and then likes became uh, like a new currency so like a, a retweet is like a full show of your endorsement a retweet is to go i like this so much i'm going to show it to other people whereas a like is like it's almost like a little patronizing mm. pat on the head now don't get me wrong I, I like a lot but what i do i do that in the context of a conversation so i retweet something that i've seen fresh mm. and go i like that but if someone's replying to me I'm not going to retweet their reply to me because that's yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just a weird thing to do. I like it as a show of I've acknowledged it yeah, and yeah. I don't feel any need to take this conversation further. It's right. a short it's a conversational yeah, yeah, shorthand yeah. of sort of sorts. But but now other people use it as a weird form of like it's it's good but not quite. It's good enough to get a little thumbs up for me but not quite good enough for me to actually tell other people I liked it. Mm. I think it's I, I always call it a, a like a cowardly you know, it's a cowardzarty. <laughs> Uh, we've deviated way off point here. Um, well, no, the the, the, the last but, point just to kind of get, put some connective tissue back towards this this you know film <laughs> of that you know the film Jer- that was it we're talking about film. Jerry obviously is very aware of things turning negative. We have that we have that immediate switch of that woman that immediately says oh, yes, you yes. know to, about about cancer and that one is you know I'm glad that that James called it out because it really does have a real a real echo throughout the movie um I remember and not to not to embarrass you to talk about it further I remember at the your sort of at one of your very sort of popular times we would go through some of the messages that you would get the, oh, the, yeah. like just the insane stuff that people would send you like like utter madness like how would you arrive at thinking that this person that you've seen a video of would appreciate that language not necessarily rude language of but there of there was oh, yeah, some was, of that yeah. language but just the most insane crap that people would send you on these messages and it's like how can that must that change you as a person in so many different ways or how does your heart not harden you know which well when... part of it is and you realize a lot of the time is that people are socially inept there's a lot of socially inept people out there mm. and sometimes it's the only way they know how to communicate is what they do in school or whatever mm. they do which is just you know it, which is the equivalent of pulling the hair of the girl you like so a lot of the time that i would call some people out and if they got like a little too nasty or a little too personal i'd, I'd you know i'd reply to them and say come on mate yeah uh, and a lot of time they just immediately come back and go oh my god i never thought you'd respond i just wanted to get your attention <laughs> yeah you know it was that and 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 that was their weird 
backward way of doing it, mm. not to go, oh, I watch you all the time, I really appreciate your work, thanks. Because mm. a lot of times to those, I'd just be replying, oh, that's really kind of you, thank you. But yeah, sometimes these people thought, oh, that was it, this, this is this is the one, this is the one that's going to mm. get me yeah, noticed. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, oh man, I hope you die in hell, you you gay, just absolutely shitty gay, yeah. haircut, cunt <laughs> face with your ugly, ugly... <laughs> ugly face yeah. yeah I don't know I'm not very good doing trolling um, but you know it's stuff like that you're like why What? what's compelled you to do that trolling trolling um, yeah so uh, yeah so and, and, and obviously to, to, to rip us back back to the film the Jerry Lewis character is really interesting in that he is this avatar for celebrity he is the in in some ways he's kind of the baddie and in other kind of ways he's the only person out of the four maybe the the girlfriend aside that is living in a reality you know he's living in some kind of but it also is almost as as surreal as 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 Rupert's as well like his I do genuinely feel when he says later on when he's kind of apologizing where he's saying oh if all of these things all of these pressures that I'm under to get this show out on time if that has made me sort of overlook things then for that I you know I do kind of apologize that part and then his performance and that was so interesting in 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 that and then you think again relevant bring it back relevance now like what what would be the local like what would be the up-to-date term you know would Jerry be on Twitter of course he would you know and a lot of these interactions and stuff would just be happening virtually yeah yeah like him going for a walk that thing of him going for a walk where he's so famous is like Twitter, or is like social media interaction, because he knows what's going to happen when he goes outside. He's so famous that he's going to be recognised and going to be talked about, and that is part of his process. He doesn't feel the need to get in a car and be away from people. He likes it, you know. Yeah, he yeah, does yeah. like it. He finds safety, you know. According to Sandra yeah, Bernard, and, and you know, and that's where I see the similarities in. Sometimes I look at the way that some people are talked to on Twitter, and I would just think, like, why would you even? I mean, I've had some, I've had some batshit encounters why in my time. Why would you sign up for that? You know, I've had batshit, you mm. know, IRL encounters as well. <laughs> you know, I've had people shout at me from pubs and yeah. stuff like that, going, "Fucking hate, hate you, <laughs> hate sent your message, whatever else." You know, just screaming at me. I've had trainee hypnotists talk to me and then be hypnotized by their teacher. And just left in a trance state in the mid in a group in the middle of a group of my friends. Just all this weird yeah, stuff yeah. that happens. But yeah, you go on a holiday and people in airports stopping you and things like that. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's minor celebrity. Mm. When you think that you're at the point where you cannot go anywhere without being stopped. Yeah. It's really oppressive. And Jerry Jerry Lister's a very good like you say, in in that explanation of why he doesn't take those fifteen minutes. Mm. Because, you know, fifteen minutes to him, like 15 minutes is nothing yeah but to him 15 minutes is like it's it's everything yeah. it's it's just some time for some peace and to have some time alone because you don't know what it's like mm. at the top yeah and he keeps trying to tell him that he yeah, keeps yeah. Trying to say to Rupert's like don't you don't want to get what you wish for sometimes mm. because it comes with its own whole challenges yeah. and its whole hardships but to him he's just like I don't care I want I want all of this yeah. I want the adulation I want the nutcases yeah. um, well uh, but it, it, where I find sympathy with with Rupert and where I do still root for him in a way is that what what he's really fighting against is being 
considered irrelevant. Not criticized for being bad or not even or not even um, sort of like lauded for being particularly good. What he ultimately wants is he just to, wants be, to be a somebody. He wants to be recognized. And the one thing that I do sympathize with him and the, what you know, and like with Jerry and the idea of celebrity is that all of these things are so you know he's trying to sim- be sympathetic and say all these bad things have happened to him, but he has been recognized for it. He does have this recognition, and when you consider that as the only currency then you can see why Rupert is kind of dismissive of it in a way because all he wants is to be seen you know these idea you know the cardboard cutouts in his in his room downstairs they're facing straight at him and he you know it's all about him being seen I want to know being, where he got those made. they're absolutely amazing where, really do, where do you get a cardboard cut of Liza Minnelli on it's, the chat show it's it's really really good um and there's the um Another sort of image that sticks with me is the corridor scene with the printed oh, the wall of the yeah, audience, the wall of the audience, and the and the camera panning away. I really loved that. I I, I replicated it for a, an event one one time. The idea of having all of these people as your kind of crowd when you're playing um it was for a sports game, and I thought it'd be really good. It worked really well. It was a it was my little uh, king of comedy. What was it Connect Sports? Or something? It was Connect Sports. Yeah, Adventures. yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. And um. It was it was really interesting, sort of the idea of just having people's faces just looking at you. It does affect you. It does. Yeah, yeah. The pressure amazing. of having eyes on you. It's yeah. just a photo. <laughs> it's so mad, you know. But it does work really well. Yeah, cool. So what did what did you what did you make of the there were there were fleeting moments of comedy mm. peppered throughout the film. The two that spring to mind for me are the part where he's running around the office and they just do a classic kind of Scooby-Doo moment, effectively, where you yeah, see him really good, run past it? a doorway chased by a couple of security guards and then, mm. you know, backs on himself and the same security guards sort of chasing him out. And then the other part is actually when he's in Jerry Langford's house mm. and his uh, his home help. The, oh, the, yeah. the guy is brilliant. He's really good. He's really oh, good. having a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's just, yeah. he's just his real, like, non-threatening right presence. Right from the get-go, he's not buying it, is he? he no. He says the first thing, he's like, maybe you should come back. Like, he's really, like, trying to get out of it. He's incredible. He's great And there's just, yeah, him and the lady just watching him as they're putting there's on the There's so many and... bits of it. I really also like later on when they have Jerry... Um, in the house, and she's um, trying the jumper on. Oh, with the sleeves, she's made yeah, him yeah. a jumper, and and that, and that thing of, <laughs> and it just is really really funny. Like Jerry's face, just the the fact that it's not quite finished, the fact that it's really kind of ginky. Yeah, and then that I they have an argument directly after about how important each of what they have to do with Jerry is like. Rupert is very dismissive and he's like right you've had your time now now it's my time and she's just like no I haven't had you get to do a whole show and all I want to do is put you know just this jumper this jumper, on, for this a jumper. Bit. he's like oh maybe you should take it off now and she's like well I thought thought he could just wear it for a while it's just it really really tickles me it's one of those just goes straight to my my thing I just thought it was so funny um and there's a bit where she goes back and she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm glad I chose red, and it looks really good on you." And she's brilliant in in the movie. Have yeah. you seen her in much much other stuff? But the funny thing is, the first thing I ever saw her in was Roseanne. That's yeah, that's what um yeah, that's um where I know her from as well. And um, Vic uh, was uh, my wife was asking, um, did she come back for the um, 
for the recent sort of doomed series. I thought she did. Apparently she did. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen them. I haven't. Pretty seen much them. everybody yeah. came yeah. back for it as far yeah, as I know. Pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I think she's she's incredible in it. She's really she's, great. She she reaches a point of she's another point of it where she's almost unbearable to watch at times when she goes into her really sort of shrieky moments. <laughs> she's so shrill. Yeah. And I was getting some looks on the train because clearly it was penetrating the outer shell of my earphones and people were just like, what the fuck are you watching? (laughs) It's like she's having a real sort of scream at him. Mm. Uh, Yeah, her voice becomes almost like unbearable. But again, it's just, it's, if if that's what the character's supposed to be and it's making you feel that, then she's done an excellent job. She's done a really, really good job, job, you know? Because she plays between the idea of being almost sympathetic and crazy and and flipping backwards and forwards. Yeah. And even in, I don't know, I always have a really conflict about how she kind of looks in it. I'm kind of, sometimes I'm a little bit like, oh, she, you know, she is, like, you know, she is actually quite believable and quite lovely. She's being really nice and tender during that bit. And you, you do go on a journey with her and, you know, Jerry does not go on a journey with her. No, no, no. Like, He's just you know, like... You're fucking mad. Yeah, like, you're top totally to bottom. Mad. And like, she is she's completely like, checked she, out. She does but... the bipolar thing incredibly well mm. in, in that regard. Um but that's what I'm saying about the the class divide aspect of it is that she's she has no need for it. Rupert's trying to punch up, you know, I mean he's trying to yeah. climb. She has nowhere to go. So her desperation's different. Her desperation seems to be born out of a sadness, no connection with her parents. Yeah. Um you know, finding herself bonding with this figure, I guess, who's old enough to be her father, mm. and 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 then trying to, you know, shag him as well brings in another slightly creepy, yeah, Oedipal style, uh, you know, aspect to her relationship. Well, she, it, it, with, it with really him. ramps up in such a cool way. You can almost she thinks that she's in two minds about it she has you know they're having this dinner and she's talking about the idea of you know and again she's talking about being being seen but just by him but in a different way she yeah. wants a different thing from Rupert as you say you, you know, know what it reminded me of just thought about it it just reminds me it reminds <laughs> me of uh, the Alan Partridge is it Alan Alan Attraction or Fatal Alan? I can't remember. Basic Alan. Right. The episode when he meets his biggest fan. Yes. And he's yeah, like, you're yeah, not going to yeah. stay, aren't you? Yeah. And and then, you know, when she's taking the tape off mm. him and then she basically slaps him. It's it's exactly the it same as no, no way, yeah. you mentalist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just like begs him. Partridge is definitely, <laughs> Pupkin is in Partridge, I think. Oh, I man. I think, yeah. you know, like, there is a real, you know, there's the suits, the hair, the thing I really do think there is some of that DNA in there. I've I, I recently watched an, and um, on it's on iPlayer the um the Alan Partridge documentary that's on there. Have you seen that? Which yet? which one? It's one where with him and the and Iannucci and Schneider and um. I was going to say because obviously he's done documentaries. Oh no no, no as this Alan is the Partridge, actual the one. one yeah, about, this is yeah, the actual I've watched one that. Yeah, with yeah. The guy that um that wrote Closer as well. I forget his Patrick name. Marber. Yeah the um and. And his Patrick sort of Marble. part of it. Yeah. It's um Yeah, because he used to be part of that yeah. uh circle. And, and famously like, thought oh, that now um, I in my player close of Famously He's... thought that uh I'm I'm Alan Parches didn't wasn't a good idea. Yeah. But um yeah, very really in, yeah, really interesting. There's definitely, definitely some DNA in him. And also, uh, just my personal thing, my uh my wedding jacket 
was uh, an homage to Rupert Pupkin as well, which nice. you will, should remember. Yeah, I do, was, I um, do. Yeah, it was uh, definitely, I saw it and I was like, oh man, that looks like Rupert Pupkin's out the time. That's, That's quite another little funny, there's another funny nod in the film to Scorsese himself as well. Because mm. again, I didn't see him in the film, but he was referenced yeah. as the He's director yeah. of the show. Mm. And then, so there's just a point when he's like, he goes, I'm the king, and the cameraman's sort of taking the piss out of him, and he's like, who should I be speaking to? He's like, oh, short guy, glasses. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. There's a, there is a little scene later on where it does do a pan past him. Yeah. And, does and, does, and he is there, and he's walking up to people, and they're sat backstage. You yeah. do see him, but it's, yeah, it's great. It's possibly a... trying to clamber up my own colon at that point. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested that you, uh, yeah, that it kind of had that effect on you. Uh, it just made me feel horrible. Yeah, that's that's good though. Because I was, it's weird that you say at any point that you identify with what Rupert Pumpkin was doing. Because like, I could not identify with him in the slightest. Like, I never thought I was owed. I've no, never no, thought. I think that, I no, think I know you don't. Even you even even that. a character that is so far over to the the other side. Yeah, there's got to be a thread that that you can link into otherwise they're just unbelievable like there is this he does have this humanity to him that i just i just it just appeals to, to I could, me I you could, know i can like sympathize with it but by <coughs> it was just his his entire approach top to bottom just made me feel deeply it's it's so at odds with mm. who i am and how yeah. i approach things that i just maybe like if 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 I was in a room with someone doing that, I would just quietly leave. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't know what else to do. I also just wouldn't treat everything with the same temperament Jerry Lewis does throughout that film as well. Yeah. Like when he's in his house, you would just be like, "Get the fuck out! Get the fuck out!" Yeah, you wouldn't be like shaking his hand and you'd just be like, "Get the fuck out!" Yeah, just yeah. There are a few times where he does, you know, try to open a door a little, but yeah, it's um yeah yeah the tone the tone and 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 the way that it there's a particular point that scene in his house is really really pivotal there's a real point where you maybe could have explained quite away quite a lot of the things in Rupert's favour he, he just maybe was taking things the wrong way but when he's very that's where he very first very plainly says like get out this isn't going to happen you know and that's yeah. really, the way that's done it is really interesting but it's from the it's from the top when he says, "Oh, you know, call Kathy." Um, yeah, he just doesn't do that. He immediately goes. Jerry said to call him. Jerry said to call him. Yeah, and he yeah. Just doggedly pursues chatting mm. to Jerry directly. He won't talk to anyone but Jerry yeah. because the the obsession is such that anyone between him and Jerry is 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 nobody. Yeah, is a nothing. <laughs> um, maybe we should discuss the ending because weirdly, I must have been in a particularly literal mood but yeah I, I, I didn't see the ending as a delusion i just saw it as a sad damning indictment of celebrity culture in itself which is that you know a- achieving fame through infamy mm. it was all too plausible right because so you think it does happen yeah but mainly because i think they were very careful to make his act quite decent mm um at, at at the end and to to have that to have that laughter um because then it gave him a shred of credibility mm. which meant that when he was put away people were like wow what an audacious thing to do mm. to become that but look you got on there and you did it and even if you weren't like the best 
it, that's such a crazy story yeah. that you know, and, and it's not unheard of for celebrities to then, uh, sorry, for for criminals to go on to earn celebrity status yeah. as a result of their criminal background and to mm. have reformed. Um, it did seem odd that. You know, he just walked up on stage and the guy just kept saying, Rupert Pupkin, it's, yeah. it's Rupert Pupkin, ladies and gentlemen, Rupert yeah. Pupkin, and just yeah. repeating it over and over again. Seemed a very odd stylistic choice, but maybe that, as you say, that was that was the hint. Well, do you remember the uh, very, very ending of um, Taxi Driver? Not, I haven't seen that for quite a while now, but no. So, um, I mean, I'll try to talk about it without without spoilers, but basically after all the events of the movie, oh. the very end is he's back in his cab. Yes. He's, he's, he's picking up a fare. He picks up the character from earlier on in the movie, yeah. who he, you know, the, his love interest, and she's totally different to him. She is, um, she's completely forgiven him for the transgressions of earlier because yeah. of the actions that happen later on. She she gets out of the cab, finishes it, and then Scorsese does this like, Weep, and he looks in the mirror, and it, there's like a little slight, little blistering sort of effect, as like a glare. Yeah. And the read of the film is is that that last section of it, everything else did happen. That last section of it is in his head. Doesn't that he doesn't have resolution with that character? He's just imagining. A resolution at the point. At, yeah, 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 at the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in yeah. this movie, I do feel that those things did happen, but that bit right at the end is just that you know the spinning top at the end of Inception. Yeah, all that that final moment where it's like, how real is this? Even if it is completely real, it's happened for completely insane reasons. So it's not real. So we're just giving you a little bit of a of a of a. Yeah, know, rug pull right at the end. It's, because it's, um, part of the argument for you is that it spent so much time in the first half of the film establishing his delusions that when he transcended the delusions mm. to actually appear on TV, yeah, that there was no need for them anymore, and suddenly he was living, he was living his delusion because yeah. he he'd somehow gone so far that that had caused him to be embraced, and he de- achieved that degree of infamy. Mm that it ended up being nothing to do with how good he was a comedian at all. Mm. It was more to do with the fact that he performed such an audacious act to appear on TV yeah. that he was famous for being infamous. Yeah. And he could have said anything at that point because it wouldn't have mattered. So There's a nice um, there's a nice fourth wall break in that uh, final montage where it says, oh, it's being made into a film, the story of... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Which, which, you know, obviously it's, uh, is... Um, is a bit cheesy, but I don't mind a little bit of cheese at the end. Just sort of something. Quite again, nice again, to, it's uh, it's it's early days for that degree of um, that degree of postmodernism. I think uh, in cinema to mm. have that little sneaky degree of self-referentiality. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's you know, it's not Deadpool too, is it? No, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I I really enjoyed that bit. Right, so to cap. Our uh, the end of our conversation about um, about the movie. We do a little quiz, okay? A little uh, end of end of movie discussion quiz, and we'll come back for your uh, for your thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, this time it is a quiz ten or of um, Robert De Niro's character names. Oh no! 
and you have to tell me what oh. film is this from. Oh, no. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> this is the malaise you spoke of earlier, wasn't it? This was the malaise. Before you I recorded. like recording your malaise at me doing oh. random quizzes. And uh, thank you to uh, Vic for helping me out with this one. Um, mm. So, we'll start off easy. How are we saying this? Travis Bickle. Oh, taxi driver. Taxi driver. Right. So you got one. You're off. You're off, off the mark. If you can keep your scores, please. I always need you to keep your scores. One. There's one. You've got one. Uh, one of one. Lewis Cipher. Oh, that's Angel Heart. That's Angel Heart. It's two for two. Jake Clamotta. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Three for three. Noodles. Noodles. Ah. Mm. Uh... Starting to get harder now. I do know this. It's not Once Upon a Time in America, is it? It is Once Upon a Time. Nice work. Four for four. Yeah. Okay. Donald Rimgate. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. Donald Rimgate. Mm, Apparently based on a true person. This is. But um, but the. uh, Yeah. Sorry, that could be a bit of a curveball. Oh. Donald Rimgate. What sort of era De Niro are we talking? We are talking 90s De Niro. Uh, I don't know. That's not his character in Heat, is it? No. No, I didn't think so. I don't know. What is it? It is his character in Backdraft. Oh, I've not seen Backdraft. Oh, wow. It's a good one. You should see that. Max Cady. Oh, that's Cape Fear. That is Cape Fear. So um, five. I'll make that five out of six. Sam Ace Rothstein. Is that ace in like inverted commas? Yeah. Sam Ace Rothstein. Sam Ace Rothstein. Um. Don't know. That is his character in Casino. A casino. Ace. The clue was in yes, the name. Of course, it was. Um. Stupid. Uh. Neil Neil McCauley. Is that heat? That is heat. Yeah. Well done. Um, Lewis Gara. Just Lewis. Lewis Gara. But that was a clue. Clue is Lewis. Why do I know that? Lewis. <laughs> That's not helping me. Sorry. <laughs> Lewis. No idea. It's not the deer hunter, is it? It's not the deer hunter. What is it? It is his character from Jackie Brown. And oh, that's get a film I've watched once. Ah, you a should long, watch it again. Long time it's very ago. good. That's three hours of my life. I'm not going to get no, back. It's the uh, it's the um, yes. Fonda line as they're walking back to the car. Yes, and before she gets capped, she may or may not get capped. Spoiler alert. Um, and finally, Don Lino. This was a voice. Don Lino. A voice. Mm. Oh, God. What animation has he been in? Maybe it's not animated. It's animated. (laughs) Don Lino. 
not a Disney film, is it? No, I don't believe so. No, it's not. Is it a DreamWorks film? I think so. Oh, it's not Ants, is it? No, no, it is his character from Shark Tale. Shark Tale, that's the other one I was going to fucking say. <sighs> well, yeah, because it's the gang. Yeah. Idiot. And, I think he did very well. That was alright. Seven, was it? Yeah. That's pretty good. Alright, I'm happy with that. Yeah, you've done very well. Um, and probably one of your best scoring. Yeah, thank you for going with some of the easy ones there. Well, yeah, we thought we'd get you into it. You know, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, that and I think the horror film taglines was a. Yeah, fairly strong one. As fairly well. strong one. Don't want to grind you into paste like last. You know, you know, like you know. We want to have some nice ones. Yeah, there are some nice ones there. <laughs> I think you've held your own in every quiz. Done all right. Done all right. So um, yeah. So again. So oh, now this is we've built up to it now, haven't we? This is the end page of of the edge review going straight to the score at the end. Yeah. Do you have? Is it going to be thumbs up or thumbs down? It's it, yeah, it's a, it's a thumbs up. Of course, me. it's a thumbs but up. The, the, it's a fucking the, wicked film. The, the thumb is sort of trying to sort of disappear at my bum hole. And that is a fantastic image for us to uh, for us to, to just finish. To, just out. to get away from having to witness it anywhere. It Amen. was. Um, it's a great film, and uh, I'm very very happy to be. Um, to be doing a podcast about it and hopefully a few more people watch it because of it um right so moving on uh we've got two two little sections to go now yeah we're going to do a little news section news, nuggets. news section and then a recommendation uh, oh. section so um first we'll go to our news news we are continuing our uh, talk about uh, robocop with the news that uh, uh, Blomkamp is saying that uh, Peter Weller could be involved. Do he wants? Um, there's no. Is there any massive reason to assume that he would say no to doing it? Is he busy? Uh, is Peter Weller busy? He's he's, he's been in things, but yeah. I, I um, no. I mean, to be honest, I think there's a lot that can be. Done mm. with bringing Peter Weller back. I mean, you've you've got the option now of de aging. We've we've seen that that can be done very successfully yeah. by Marvel repeatedly. Um, and if you are only showing him showing him from the sort of lips down, yeah, um, there there isn't a lot of him to de age either, really. But then there's also a very interesting take on it, and and I, I've got to say this isn't something I can take credit for. I, th- I think. I can't remember where I read this, but it was this idea that Robocop being technically immortal means that he's never going to be too old to to serve anymore. He can't retire. Mm. So you could almost set this new Robocop as if it's now been as long as it's been since the last film came out, which is like 31 years. Right. Um, But... He hasn't changed, mm. but he's really fed up. And it, but it's like he, he's still a slave to the the system. He's still a slave <laughs> to OCP. Like, yeah. he's he's just got to serve for as long as yeah possible. And it's yeah, this idea that like, it's this idea that you know even if the the sort of the 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 flesh is the flesh is weak and all that, you know he's still held together by nuts and bolts, and there's, it's only really his brain and and that's that's required. 
Um, so you know, so the, you think no de aging, have him in it as as it that he could have aged a little bit. That, that you know, that's uh, that's maybe something they're trying to deal with. It's like, mm. oh shit, you know, the, the 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 flesh is it's not holding up. Right. He, the, 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 mechanically, he's absolutely mm. sound, but he's not holding up. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe a, a slightly sort of maybe one that's received various upgrades over the years because yeah. we've seen technology change. Uh, quite quite drastically, so he would have received these 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 various upgrades. But yeah, like thirty years have passed, and he's he's getting on a bit in yeah. robot robot years. Well, it's genuinely but, very. But, it's a, um... but it could be a good critique, a, a satire of the way that we're all being collectively sort of worked to the bone, and retirement ages are being pushed further and further back, and. Yeah, it's always wow. had th- it's always had things to say. Yeah, and could talk to that. I mean, that's that is a great, that is a good, that is a cool take. It's um my only immediate response is that uh, he kind of always really hated wearing the suit. So yeah. you would imagine that there would be some kind of jiggery pokery that could could help. I mean, obviously he was in Star Trek, which um which we um which yeah. actually is relevant to our next next, next yes. news story um but um yeah i'd be i'd be very interested to see where where he can go with it i'm very interested to see what blomkamp can do i really really hope that he um, i read another just a really quick take about the idea of that you know his references might be like limiting him like the idea of his unwillingness to change you know on his view of alien and you know might have end might have led towards what happened with him ultimately not doing it yeah that maybe robocop his his insistence on maybe trying to get peter weller in there may may hinder it. i don't know it's it's it's, it's just something to you know to think about isn't it it's, uh... yeah well so funny enough i was watching uh, the finale of westworld the other day of the second series and um it struck me that James Marsden could actually be quite good in that role. Oh, right, if yeah. They do recast. Yeah. Um, he he puts on a sort of weirdly robotic performance towards the end mm. as his character Teddy. And I was looking at him from the sort of RoboCop standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I was like, does he have the mouth for it? Does he have the mannerisms? Mm. And you know, could could he pull that off? And I was like, yeah, I could I could actually see him in the see him in the suit. Yeah, he's quite an interesting actor, isn't he, old old Marsden? You know, he's popped up. In sort of different places and and really sort of held his own. These men never maybe never really broken out, you know, the, or had the lead role or the, no, that particular he's... project that you know that could have you know the way that Owen happened with Owen Wilson. His Owen Wilson did those kind of roles, didn't he? You know, at one point, and it just I I, I don't think I've ever seen him anything where he's really pushed or has mm. pushed himself. Yeah, he's not. You know, he's but that's. Part of the reason why I think, oh, he could be quite good as Robocop because it's never been really an acting masterclass. Mm. It's always been a question of like understatement and subservience and, you know, rebelling against that. But just, but ultimately, it's all about repression and there's never a moment where he gets to rage. You know, Robocop doesn't get angry, really. Um, so he's he's, he's, a, he's a good kind of vessel in that role. Like Joel Kinnam was almost too much of a blank slate oh, way type too, actor. Yeah. Like to to, to he's, he's he's too bland. Whereas I think Marsden continues to get work. So I think he's just got something about him, mm. a bit more about him. There's an interesting point in the new Robocop. One of the only sort of slivers of bits of that film that I did 
you know actually enjoy and thought did play around with the format is there's a scene where he's almost belittled where you know he start where they show him how much of him is left do you remember that scene? Yeah, there's very there's, yeah. and there's very very little left, and it's really quite horrific, and it really does invoke this kind of like, oh god, you know, and and I do think Kinnaman does play actually quite well in that scene, does quite a good job, and it then it then it just drops it and then doesn't do it again, and he says right at the end like never show this to me again, never you know, and actually that little bit was setting me up for a bit. Oh, like, cool. Oh, okay, cool. It's got a bit of this to it. Yeah. You know, and then it just completely unceremoniously dropped for some other kind of CGI bullshit. Yeah. I did think that that bit of it I was interesting yeah, talking about. There's a grain of the, something yeah, there. Yeah, something like that. You know, I, I don't yeah. like laying into stuff, you know, completely and not trying to at least see some part some of it, you know, it, yeah. and that, that was an interesting point as was, as you know, the nod towards the old suit in the in the Robocop remake and then they just go very, and they fuck it very up arrogant. But yeah. very um, arrogant but uh you know at least the 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 the, the grain was there all right so um, so um star trek news so connective tissue being peter weller um the uh, hemsworth and pine who i think sound like maybe a good, they make a good detective agency <laughs> um the chrises of the uh, rumored new star trek project uh, kirk and Kirk Senior yep. have apparently walked away from the project uh, for some uh, reason around contracts, money. around money. Um, if rumours are to be believed, he was signed, uh, Hemsworth at least, was signed to a very lengthy uh, Marvel contract um, for not very much money. Yeah. Um, that he apparently is one of the ones that in in relative terms to the other people isn't getting what 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 he what yeah, as, as much as the other people um which you know it does make sense he wasn't massively well known at the, the time the first it's, thaw. it's the kind of big money equivalent of going we're not going to pay you but you'll get great exposure <laughs> And to be fair, it it worked really well. I'm sure he does all right. I'm sure he does, you know, but it's not, um, it's not maybe perhaps not crazy money. And I think um, maybe the other, another Chris uh, Evans is potentially in the same kind of boat. But um, yeah, so money could be money could be, you know, I think if maybe there was a great script, then maybe they'd be able to find a way past it. I'm kind of thinking that script of the last one although i had fun i think often when you get into the fourth film of any franchise it moves beyond that and it's it's a bit like mm. it, it's 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 a common it's a common escalation isn't it you know with with tv series if they run beyond a certain thing there's always stories of all oh, the cast of friends had a massive pay dispute the voice talent of simpsons yeah. had a massive what you know t- cash dispute um it's an interesting one in this case though because You've got Kirk walking away. And if there's one thing I really like about the new Star Treks is I love the dynamic and the chemistry between the crew. I think it's an incredibly well-cast um, film. Yeah. Um, and I do think Pine was such a good... Not obvious, but it he it, it, it transpired to be a really inspired choice for, mm. for young Kirk. He, yeah. just, he just worked really well. And I think he's... Everyone's replaceable. But um, 
it's it's going to be very very uh, incongruous if a different Kirk steps in, or they just decide to remove him from the equation. Yeah. And it feels like if they're that far into the process of four that they were going to cast Hemsworth back in in a returning role as uh, as Kirk Senior. That um, some serious serious script revisions are in place, and obviously, very very sadly, they've already lost Chekhov. Yes, that's. I mean, that was always going to be very heavy, heavy lifting. I think the end of the last one is very mired by their just basically cutting and having long shots of of Yelchin because they are, you know, because of the. But he has no really re- re- relevance to the story. There's like a scene right at the end where they're having like a little party and and they try and do some kind of goodbye moment. It's really clunky. It's, yeah, um, it's a it's a real misstep. They didn't have time. Mm. Not 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 like Paul Walker. Oh my god, that was amazing. That is a really amazing document of what to what to do. Have you seen the Have you seen the final like the the um the composite shot of the final look round yeah it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing isn't it's, it isn't it like his brother or something it's his brother it, yeah, yeah. yeah it's his brother and you know that face face map on i mean it's very good technology but a close up in full hd doesn't really stand up to scrutiny really does it quite stand <laughs> up no it doesn't i mean um what did you think of the of the last star trek i like know? beyond yeah i mean did you like uh, into darkness into darkness has serious problems but i'm with those films i'm so as i say i like the cast so much mm. that i just like hanging around with them yeah i'm just i'm just sort of I'm buoyed along whatever the the story because I just like seeing the way that they that they interact and it's 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 not often you get that I like and that's it's it's a bit like what Marvel films do now with with such an ensemble cast is you kind of just look forward to them seeing how they all bounce off each other mm. it it just feels these days that film series have that element that TV series have which is you like you like the ensemble cast. You just love to see their interactions. Yeah. And sometimes that can be, that can really help a mediocre story along because Mm. you're just, you're just invested in the people. Um, I think two was almost salvaged by that, but three I liked. I think we've discussed elements that Star Trek fans hated, like Mm. the Beastie Boys moment, not realizing that was actually a really good callback to the first film. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, And 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 a really bold move for a Star Trek film in general. I like I like three. I think it has it really misses JJ. I think it would have been really interesting to have Simon Pegg's ideas and JJ's finesse or whatever magic or sprinkle whatever version i would have liked to have seen that movie i think it would have improved Mm. it um two i think is really a symptom of the fact that abrams it was not a massive trek fan and set about reinventing the wheel first and somehow managed to pull it off and in two took the blanket of the wrath of khan but just did not fully understand the the granular detail of what made Wrath of Khan so good. You know, the fact that it was a callback to a, an, a, old, an episode an of the show. show. You had Montalban there doing yeah. you already had the world built and the the mistake that he made was a was was a was a crime of the person watching the movie had to come in with a pre notion of who Khan was to be able to give 
any gravitas to the film. The film itself doesn't earn earn it. Well, no, no, it, it fails on a number of, you know, it, there's there's a huge, huge plot hole towards the end in terms of their solution to mm. fixing the Khan problem. Yeah. But there's also the fact that JJ constantly said he's not Khan, like he's definitely not Khan. Yeah. And there's a certain point where you go, okay, you're trying to hold, you know, keep an air of mystery. And yeah. then there's just straight out lying in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. On it. It's like, just stop. Yeah, it, it's it's fucking con, and be, and it, the point was, like, oh yeah, but it's a big reveal. But when he reveals it, there's no context, like you no. say. He has no background with this guy. No. So when he goes, oh, my name is Khan, and the music swells up and all this kind of stuff, and like really took me he, out of the film. He might film. as well be looking at the audience because mm. they're the only people at that point who have any fucking clue who that exactly. is. Exactly, and it just it took me so far out of the film. It just I just really really it just pulled me out too much it was too much of a stretch and then finally the reverse no moment of the end of the and end of the movie or reverse Khan sorry yeah, uh, yeah moment at the end it's just so heavy-handed but without any of the underlying emotion that that served the film so well the the wrath of khan the end of the movie yeah because it just because, because the, there's such a history that stretches well beyond the first two films but also real life history of the fact that nimoy and and shatner reportedly hated each other yeah. and that this point of this movie was at that time the world thought that was the end of Spock during yeah. that time. Nimoy did not want to do any more. You know, there was, you know, Kirk and him had had all of these spats in, in it. It was real, this real massive, fuck, this is it. This is it. Even now you can see it's palpable. It's really like, you know, Nimoy is like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. done with this shit. Like, and he, and obviously they had, you know, it, it went on, and he obviously has reprised the role, etc. Yes, but this, but you know, search for Spock, he's not in it until the until the end, the final final ten minutes. You know, he didn't do another one; it's just a different character. And then obviously, they, it, he comes back with a, a great performance in a in a, um, is it the Voyage Home? Voyage Home, yeah. You know, is 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 a great one, but um, yeah, just completely miss misunderstood the the you know the vocabulary of 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 Star Trek so that's it that's the end of my talking about what, what about this talk of a Tarantino directed Star Trek film I would I, I would like to see it because I think that Star Trek can can bear it like could you know the universe could take that kind of direction I'd be interested to see him I've always wanted him to do a sci-fi I think that it's the one thing that he hasn't that Tarantino hasn't done you know very well or like you know, or really sort of done. So I would be, I would be open to it. I I've enjoyed the um, the discovery. Um, um, I think it's done really well. I'm very interested to see the second series. But um, I just want, I just want to see what interests me. What interests me with that that is that Tarantino is obviously you know considers considers himself an auteur. Mm. For him to deal with a big franchise is. I'd quite like to see what Tarantino's capable of when he's not necessarily in control of everything. Well, after the next one is done, it'll be his 10. That's the, he always said that he was going to do 10 films. So him moving into a, another, another sphere of making movies, maybe it is a franchise that, that will, that will do that. And Star Trek is, you know, it's, it's a franchise. It would be quite interesting to see, to see what he, what he, what his take is on it. Yeah. 
because when he did um, uh, an episode of ER, I loved it. I loved yeah. seeing him within the confines of another show where he obviously turned it on its head. But he went to the hospital in that episode. I think maybe a little bit he did. Um, but yeah, I really liked seeing, and I was a massive Tarantino <laughs> obsessive during that time. So I really enjoyed seeing him him play around in a in somebody else's you know sandpit yeah. for a bit. And I think he did. It's, do it's a, great it's a job. real test of a director's selfishness. I think mm. those moments where it's like, I know I've got to put my stamp on this, but I can't do it to the degree that it actually detracts from what people want from what they're watching yeah um so i'm I'm all for that i'm all for seeing him actually test himself by actually having to demonstrate a degree of restraint yeah for sure and 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 a degree of respect as well absolutely so yeah yeah i'm all for it i'm all for it if it happens it's one of those sort of pipe dreamy things and Mm. i've heard toward it's still four or five years away if it ever if it ever happens yeah i think it could i think it could yeah um Right, so as the end of our news section, um, for our final uh, recommendations uh, section, I would like to um, recommend on Netflix, it's a kid's TV show. I think it does um, really straddle that uh, adults can watch it and kids can watch it, and there's enough in it for both of them. Yeah. It is called Cupcake and Dino. It's a very interesting... uh, um, very irreverent in, in the lineage of uh, Red and Stimpy, um, SpongeBob SquarePants, um, Adventure Time, that real like fantastical yeah. and irreverent humour that kind of can only really be done in America. I don't know what it is about their ability to do that, but maybe like the facade of American politeness mixed in with a surreal mind it just really it ticks a lot of boxes for me for animation yeah yeah. just you know my kids like it i really like it when they watch it apologies in advance for anyone that searches it out theme tune is just insanely addictive you find yourself seeing it's really simple um and yeah i think it's one of those ones again one of those real holy grails of oh you've got kids of you know maybe four five six you know mm. that are kind of liking that stuff you can put it on and you'll actually enjoy it too um and uh yeah that's I'm, always, I'm always down for that there's not enough no not in nowhere near not, enough. not the age that well i mean your kids are getting to the age where there's way more stuff that they'll tolerate that's actually mm. acceptable for adults whereas mine is still very much in <laughs> you know cbb's world yeah where you've got hey dougie and nothing else yeah. basically um, on that note, then the uh, fourth series of Tumbleleaf is on Amazon now. Ah, as well. yes, Tumbleleaf, very, a very cool, incredibly show. charming stop motion show. Very, mm. very kid centric. Don't seek it out if you're seeking a, you know, a cerebral, yeah, a cerebral a, yeah. watch. But if you are looking for uh, um, a uncharacteristically low key and charming American American animation, then yeah, search it out because I find most American shit on Amazon, Netflix, really fucking obnoxious. But that's really sweet and could almost be British. Yes, it has a it has a. Um, so it's very sweet. It's just yeah, really sweet. It's very sweet. Um, I don't. I'm just trying to think if I've. So so full full confession really is like in the last. It's only in the last month or so that my wife hasn't been watching Love Island. <laughs> and and that was positioned at such a time that after you've put your daughter to bed and you've had your dinner but by the time Love Island's over she's kind of wants to go to bed 
So I wasn't, and then I was playing games and stuff. There wasn't really anything I was watching. Right. That, that's usually our peak time to watch mm. something, which is have dinner, watch a show, da da da. So the the only thing I've been watching recently is like, as I say, we've finally polished off Westworld season two, but you can't get that on Netflix or Amazon. Um, the current show I'm watching, I don't think you can get on either of these either. Actually, I don't know where you can get it from, uh, but it's a it's a BBC America show, right? Called Killing Eve. Oh wow. And it's written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who oh, cool. is who wrote in his Fleabag, mm-hmm. which was an exceptional, uh, an exceptional um, comedy tragedy. Yeah, I haven't seen it. If I've you haven't seen, seen Fleabag, it. it's it's fucking fantastic. Um, she's so good, and and people will also know her as the droid in Solo. Yeah, she's brilliant in that. She is really the revolutionary good. sort of pansexual droid <laughs> in that. She wrote this. This is based on a, a series of ebooks called nice. called Villanelle about a, a Russian girl who becomes a stone cold assassin killer. But it's it's about the pursuit of her by a, a British uh, MI5 worker who's played by Sandra Oh. Uh, who people will know from Sideways mm. and Grey's Anatomy, uh, and yeah, she's cool. And it's it's got it, it's it it is fundamentally a bit of a thriller, a bit of a drama, but with Phoebe Waller-Bridge writing it, it's also just got an element of um, comedy and blackie mm. sort of running through it as well. So cool. It's a, it's a really finely tuned balance of the two, and you know she's she's proved that she's not a one-trick pony in terms of the writing standpoint because yeah. Fleabag was a deeply sort of personal piece based on a one woman show she used to do in the theatre and this is an adaptation of something and she's I think she's she has written every episode solo. Uh and it's it's really fucking good. Awesome. Um yeah. So uh yeah if you can if you can seek it out. I don't even know it's on the iPlayer. I won't even mention how I found it, but I've I've got it. Uh, it's good. <laughs> Watch Nef- it. Nefarious methods. I'm not even saying nefarious. Good, honest to goodness methods. Honest to goodness methods. Yeah. Um, and with that, I we will just bring. Myself, I? We will bring uh, legs eleven, episode number eleven, to we, a close. We've managed to avoid any Spinal Tap references. We have. This podcast goes to twelve. <clears throat> we'll be going to twelve next. Um, we're not going to reveal the film. We haven't picked one. We haven't picked one. <laughs> <laughs> I love Alex's attempt at your attempt at mystery, mystery. and me just like yeah, I'm, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna stick a pin in that balloon. No, 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 no. We uh, secret. It's gonna be very good, and you're gonna love it. Oh, it's a cracker. The oh. thing we've got, like, oh, we're oh, not gonna yeah. believe it. Ay, ay, Yowza. Ay, that's a hot tamale. Jesus, Germanic crest. Um, <laughs> um. And all that remains is to, again, just honestly say thank you to anyone listening to this that has made it this far. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. It's um, we do. It's great it's, fun for it's, us. It's to nice of you to, to join us. Yes, honestly. It really is. Honestly, we very much appreciate it. And um, if you do listen to the podcast and you see us in the street, just don't say anything. Just wish cancer on us. We'll know. <laughs> Internally, well, no, no, just say it. Just say, oh, right. uh, just like, I hope you get cancer. Yeah. And they'll be like, We'll know. You listen to the we'll show. No, it's you. We'll guys. know it's you. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we'll see, we'll see you next time. Uh, which could be a while. 
It should be relatively similar, but yeah, it could be a while. Yeah. We've got we we've uh, it's one of those times of years. There are life work things, lifey work potentially things. getting in the way, but um, um, yeah, all being well, we'll try and keep to our sort of roughly three weekish schedule. Three weekish is is um, the official uh, cadence. <laughs> Um, and uh, so yeah thank you very much bye bye now cheers bye bye see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks and it's not just a question of individual survival wally but that somebody who's bored is asleep and somebody who's asleep will not say no see i keep meeting these people i mean uh just a few days ago i met this man whom i greatly admire he's a swedish physicist gustav bjornstrand and he told me that he no longer watches television he doesn't read newspapers and he doesn't read magazines he's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot when i was at finhorn i met this extraordinary english tree expert who had devoted his life to saving trees. Just got back from Washington, lobbying to save the Redwoods. He's 84 years old. He always travels with a backpack because he never knows where he's going to be tomorrow. And when I met him at Findhorn, he said to me, where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York. Yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? I gave him different banal theories. He said, oh, I don't think it's that way at all. He said, I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made, or to even see it as a prison. And then he went into his pocket, and he took out a seed for a tree, and he said... This is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. <laughs>